So, I get to preach on Easter at the big show. I'm pretty excited. So, I'll start off with a question. Why is our biggest event of the year centered around putting flowers on the cross? Crosses were used as public torture. They were meant to humiliate and control the populations that Rome occupied. They were meant to frighten. They were meant to symbolize the worst possible death that one could imagine. And each Sunday, we line, each Easter, we line up and put flowers on a cross while singing our most joy-filled songs. Why are we doing such a ridiculous thing? We put flowers on the cross because through Jesus' death and resurrection, God is making all things new. When God rose Jesus from the dead, the powers of death and fear that the cross symbolized were broken. Jesus' resurrection creates new possibilities for the transformation of this world. We green the cross because God has transformed death into life and is continuing to do that today. <laughs> for this Easter season, we are going to be wondering about the mystery of Jesus' resurrection and then the new possibilities it creates. Our guide on that journey will be one of Jesus' besties, Peter. The hope is that Peter's perspective will get, help give us deeper understanding to, uh, to the welcome that is offered through Jesus' resurrection. Peter is an interesting character. He's passionate and full of huge mistakes and huge faith. If Peter played baseball, he would not hit for average. He would have swung for the fences, missed a lot, struck out a lot, but he also would have hit some home runs. Today, our story illustrates some of that character. Peter and some of the disciples having breakfast with Jesus. Now, I chose this story for a number of pastoral and very spiritual reasons, but I had three less spiritual ones, too. It's a fishing story, and I love fishing. It's a breakfast story, and I love breakfast. And it's a story with partial nudity. And I think that's pretty great. Fishing, breakfast, partial nudity, Easter. So for Easter today, let's hear the story of the resurrection of Jesus from Peter's perspective, and then spend a little time considering what invitations that story has for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied ever knowing Jesus three times. These were public denials. Peter abandoned Jesus. All of the disciples abandoned Jesus. When Mary Magdalene told Peter that Jesus' tomb was empty, that Jesus wasn't there, Peter sprinted to the tomb and went in. He saw the grave clothes uh, folded up, but he didn't find Jesus' body. The story says that Peter believed. He wondered about what that meant. Then Peter went back to the disciples. They were a community in grief and confusion, shame and fear. The story tells us the disciples were so afraid that they had locked themselves in the room together. This was the disciples' lockdown period. Now, I watch a lot of nature documentaries. I'm a connoisseur. And I notice that the documentaries I'm drawn to tend to match my mood. When I'm in lockdown mode, when I am afraid of seeing other people for the fear of the stress they may add to my life, I watch documentaries about burrowing animals. Animals that dig a hole in the ground and, uh, and wait out the danger. 
marmots sleeping through winter, warthogs backing into their burrow with just their tusks sticking out. The disciples were in burrow mode, hiding out from danger, waiting for it to be safe to come out. Then Jesus appeared to them behind locked doors. He did it once, but the disciples were still afraid and confused. They stayed in their burrow for another week. Then Jesus came to them again, and this time, oh, I lost my flower. Um, and this time, he even let one of them touch his wounds. Those are the first two times that uh, the resurrected Jesus appeared to the disciples. The story transitions at that point, and the third time the disciples see the risen Jesus is not in a locked room, it's on a wide open beach. The disciples had left their burrow, come out of lockdown in Jerusalem, and gone back to Galilee. But they were still a community learning what to do after a disorienting period of grief and loss. They were a group of friends wondering what to do with the mysterious good news that Jesus is alive. Peter didn't have the answers, but it seems like he had a good practice for confusing times. Fishing. The disciples had gone back home. They were trying to figure out what to do next now that Jesus was alive again, probably having some deep conversation, making some plans. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the others joined him. Eugene Peterson used to do the same thing. Whenever something big and confusing happened at the church that he pastored, if time allowed, he would go fishing before he responded. Fishing helped him gain perspective. It cooled off some of the urgency of the moment. Peter needed some perspective, so he went fishing. He went fishing on a part of creation that he knew the best. He was connected to that lake, having earned his living on it for the majority of his life. It was his place. Peter was connecting with creation, and through it, he was connecting with the, the creator. When I imagine the disciples fishing that night, I'm reminded that another word for fishing is waiting. When you go fishing, you go waiting. Fishing is paying attention in hope. Fishing is stillness and anticipation. Fishing is a reminder that you are not in control. Anyone who fishes knows what it's like not to catch, to be skunked, to repeat the cliche joke, that's why they don't call it catching. The disciples went out fishing all night in the dark. Now in a lot of the Gospel of John, darkness is used as a symbol for the absence of God. Darkness is a bad thing, and light is a good thing. And in our current context, that dark and light dichotomy is often really hurtful because of how our world is racialized. We have a long and heartbreaking history of associating dark with inferiority and light with superiority. The history of how those associations have played out has contributed to deep, deep wounds in our world. It's important to remember that darkness is good. Darkness is beautiful. In the beginning, there was darkness, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Creation began in darkness. Darkness contains the possibility of new life. New life broods in darkness. Out of dark soil, seeds emerge. Each of us were knit together in darkness. In the darkness of my Dutch oven, loaves of sourdough bread rise as they bake. Darkness is tantalizing, unknowing, it's fertile expectation. Darkness is beautiful hope. In the Orthodox Church, they celebrate Easter at night. They have a vigil. 
They wait to celebrate the resurrection in the dark. And I think there's deep wisdom to, at work in that tradition. The disciples were having their own vigil. They had spent all night in the, that pregnant darkness waiting in, in anticipation for something to happen. And just as day is breaking, Jesus appeared out of the darkness on the shore of the lake, and he seems to tease the disciples. You kids haven't caught any fish? The disciples hadn't caught any fish. Jesus shouts at them, try the other side of the boat. Now, the disciples hadn't recognized Jesus at this point, so it's just some random dude making fun of their failure to catch any fish after a whole night of fishing, and then that sassy stranger tells them to try the other side of the boat. But there's something about the voice of Jesus that convinces them to give it a go. They haul up their net and throw it on the other side of the boat, moving it maybe 15 feet from where it was, probably moving it to a spot where it had just been and where they had just failed to catch anything. And as they start to pull up the net from the other side of the boat, they realize it's a huge catch. That fishing moment when you feel the weight of a big catch that's a bolt of adrenaline. Those are sacred moments of giggling wonder. People become four-year-old children bursting with joy when they feel, feel the pull of a big catch. And it's in that giggling joy that John exclaims, it's the Lord. John recognized the presence of Jesus in the midst of joy. Whenever I ask youth or people who've been in youth, when was a time at Grandview when they felt God's presence almost without fail? It's Easter. The joy of this congregation celebrating the resurrection, that's when kids recognize that God is in our midst. This happy clapping and flower waving is more than just show. It's sacred. God comes near to us in our celebration. We are empowered to recognize the presence of Jesus in the midst of our joy. The resurrection of Jesus creates the possibility of joy like that. As soon as he hears it's the Lord, Peter grabs his clothes and jumps in the water. Now, the Greek here seems to be downplayed in most of our translations. In our pew Bibles, it says that Peter had stripped for work. What the Greek actually says is that he was naked or wearing almost nothing. It's a detail in the story that I don't think adds much devotional or theological weight but it's a detail that the youth pastor in me could not leave uncommented on. The mostly naked Peter hears that Jesus is on the shore and immediately jumps into the lake and swims a hundred yards to the shore, leaving the other disciples with the work of hauling up the catch and getting the boat to, show, uh, to the beach. For someone who had been living with the shame of abandoning his best friend, Peter moved pretty quick. Shame wasn't going to hold him back. Peter is beautifully impulsive and a passionate guy. I would like to desire God with that same naked boldness of Peter. When the other disciples get to the beach, Jesus has a fire going. He tells the disciples to bring some fish. Then he says one of my favorite Jesus quotes all time, come and have breakfast. It's beautiful. Some particularly devout Christians can get super caught up in a spirituality that's all transcendent and otherworldly. Um, it seems to be a pretty consistent error amongst us Christians. But here we have the resurrected Jesus, the beginning of the new creation. We have heaven coming down to earth, and he tells the disciples, let's eat breakfast. That's rad. 
These were the same disciples that abandoned Jesus. This is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times publicly. Those failed disciples experienced the power of the resurrection right there on the beach eating some fish. That's what heaven touching down here on earth looks like. That's an icon of the generous welcome of God. Meals have power. I, uh, in the building I live in, has a group chat on WhatsApp. It can get spicy at times. Our building has a lot of shared spaces and a lot of common areas, and that means there's plenty of conflict. My wife and I can usually tell when the other is reading the group chat just by our body language and facial expressions. <laughs> now, it's not all conflict on the chat. We do joke and we do lend each other sugar, but there's definitely some fierce threads. That's threads with a D. But, <laughs> but when the building has community meals together, those conflicts and frustrations are cooled down a bit. Often we're reminded that we actually enjoy each other. Meals are how we sustain living in community. I believe God uses meals to renew relationships, and that's part of what's happening in our story. This is the power, uh, there is power in the mystery of Christ's resurrection, and some of that power is in the simplicity of sharing a meal together. With a simple meal, the risen Jesus creates reconciliation. Grandview Church, it has been a rough few years. We're like the disciples after they went back to the Galilee. We've been through some, a tumultuous period, and in many ways we're wondering what to do now with the strange good news that Jesus is alive. We don't know what is coming next, some of the reconciliation that we long for seems impossible. There are a lot of the ways that it, we, it feels like we are in a dark place. It can feel like the whole world is in a dark place. I don't believe that that darkness is the, uh, the darkness of God's absence. It's the spirit brooding over us, brooding over all creation, making something new, restoring and reconciling, creating the possibility of new life. Resurrection started in darkness. We can hold uncertainty and unknowing in hope. We hope because we know that Christ is risen. The reason why we green the cross each year is to remind us that through Jesus' resurrection, God is bringing new life out of death. Jesus is making all things new, making joy where there was fear, making community where there was isolation, making peace where there was conflict. God is doing that right now. You, you are here. You likely had some coffee or a muffin before the service, or maybe you're going to have that after. And you probably talked to someone you hadn't talked to in a while. That is what the resurrection of Jesus can look like at work. Now, you may roll your eyes a little bit and say eating together isn't that amazing. Sometimes it's pretty rough. But I'd push back on that. Eating together is central to the vision of what God is on about. In the book of Revelation, John has this epic vision of heaven, and what he sees is a giant dinner party. He sees a wedding feast. God welcomes all to that table. God is inviting us to eat together. This is the mission of God, to get people together at that table. We seek justice and reconciliation so that we can celebrate together in the joy uh, and joy at that heavenly table. 
Justice makes celebration possible. We want more people at that table. We want more welcome. We seek to join with Jesus in breaking down any barriers to people coming together at that table and enjoying, to get, enjoying God. We seek to participate in God's generous welcome. Often when we think about that generous welcome, we think about welcoming people who seem like they are on the outside of our community, people we don't have a relationship with yet. But I want to challenge us all that some of the people we are called to extend welcome to are the people we have been abandoned by, the people who have hurt us, the people in our community. The resurrection of Jesus welcomes us to a table where the healing of broken relationships is possible. If God raised Jesus from the dead, then reconciliation and peace are possible everywhere. And that even includes conflicts on a sometimes grumpy group chat. Thanks be to God. When we eat together, the distance between us becomes more bridgeable, even if we aren't talking directly about our divisions. The simplicity of being together and in sharing a meal makes forgiveness and renewed relationships more possible. John's vision of Revelation shows us that eating together is the, de is the telos, the, the destination of our faith. That heavenly meal is where we are going, and meals together are one of the ways God is getting us to that destination. This is the way. This eating together thing is something that we have been about in the past. This used to be our bread and butter. I think that God is calling us back to it. We can be a community that is renewed and sustained through having meals together. God is calling us to participate in the work of the resurrected Jesus. God is calling us to join Jesus in inviting one another and our neighbors to eat together, to make new relationships and renew old ones, to get lunch together or even just coffee or tea and spend some time in conversation. Through the resurrection of Jesus, God has transformed death into life and welcomed us at his heavenly table. Christ is risen and is calling us to a new relationship with him and with one another. Jesus is calling to all of us, come and have breakfast. So let's continue our worship with this blessing. May you know the love and welcome of our creator. And join with God in the joy of extending that welcome to others. May the power of Christ's re resurrection transform your life, bringing peace where there is conflict and community where there is isolation. And may you feel the spirit of God hovering over you in the midst of unknowing and darkness. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.